Welcome, welcome, welcome to Above Replacement Radio. I am your host, Chris Gianta. You know what Christy Mathewson wasn't worried about? S-I-E-R-A. When you're thinking about Pedro Siriaco, I mean, the only one that can compete is maybe uh, Hannes Wagner's 1908 season. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Kern. Like, if we just clip together every time we've talked about him on other people's profiles, we've done a Mickey Cochran episode. I can't get past Rabbit Marinville. It's it's not necessarily Hall of Fame. It's not necessarily above average, but we can guarantee you we are better than just the standard replacement level college sophomore. And welcome to Above Replacement Radio. We're talking baseball kind of whenever. I'm your host, Christian. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you, how you doing, Daniel? Chris, I am doing well today. It's our final show of uh, 2021 it's their final show of the year that we became above replacement radio which is pretty cool around this time last year we were like teasing the name that's true that is very true and that was um so uh we yeah does uh it does give some reflection on what we did in 2021 was a was a pretty big year too because like uh our first episode of the year was 81 and we're on 168 right now so yeah did 88 episodes in the uh in the whole year which is quite a bit and we're pretty proud of ourselves for that history episode it was our first it was our first full season doing the show yeah first full regular season um and and playoffs uh i, I know from i you know i'm keeping i'm keeping stats over here i know from uh after opening day to our episode after the world series it was 55 episodes mm-hmm. like like when we were at episode 55 uh when it was like show to be named later we were like wow we've been doing this for a while and you know we did all that in in one uh in one like seven seven month span this time yeah so uh, Um, a big a big year but anyway we finished the uh the history series this year yeah we did we did the second well not this not the whole second half of it but we did the last like third of it yeah, we did. We did. Um, that was a cool experience. We um, got a couple interviews. We interviewed Chris Rose, Chris Mark Rose. Simon. We did a couple drafts. Yeah, we did two drafts. Uh, yeah, we had Nico and Bono on th- three times. That's right. Yeah, yeah we had the, the trade deadline episode. Yeah, the trade deadline episode. They came on. Guess how about that? Yes, I guess how about that? This was the full first full year of how about that's and slightly alarming too. The amount of times we we spent on fan graphs doing that. It was exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun though. It was like, fun. It was, it was it fun. Was a cool thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like um it was fun, but but yeah, like by the time but by the time like by the time it got to like, you know, September 14th, I was like it's the same guys on the hot list. It's the same guys on the cold list. Maybe Especially it got to the when it, when it got to the point when every single show that you were like, my guy is uh is a comeback special or a freeze over. <laughs> yeah, We've run out of guys here. Yeah, it's like all right. Well, I think the league is taking its course here. Yeah. Um. Either way, great great year for us. Fun times. Great great year for above replacement radio. Maybe we could do a little more. Uh, reflection towards the end but we uh but in pre-record we were talking about uh hall of fame stuff because this is going to be a hall of fame themed episode uh based on the results of some of these um 
off BBWAA uh, uh, ballots and elections, uh, you know, with all these different committees and, and such, uh, adding some players into the Hall of Fame. Uh, and we, we thought it was funny. We just thought it was funny that the Golden Days Committee, the, the committee based on baseball from 1959 to 1979 was like, is really cocky about the, the net, about 1959 to 1979. Like one of the, probably the 50, weakest. 50 to 69. Wait, wait, 50 what? to 69. Oh, 1950 to 69. Yeah. Okay. So, so maybe not the, maybe not as bad, but still like the 1960s baseball, it was the weakest offense. It, it led to, there was one led, cool, there was one really cool pitching season out of those 10 years in a decade. Yeah. And that and was it, it. It led to uh, the lowering of the mounds and eventually the dh rule in the 70s which that's how exciting that's how golden the days were is they had to change the game because there was not enough action i'd be willing to bet if you took like lifelong baseball fans and i don't mean our our age i mean like people who actually lived through those times and asked them like the golden age of baseball i would be willing to bet most of them would say any era that is not the 50s and 60s (laughs) right i mean to be fair i would say People, people would generally say the golden days of baseball was like was when when they grew up was whenever like whenever they were between ages of like ten to fifteen. Yeah. Still. So for that, for so for the golden days, people that was when they were ten or fifteen, or while they were playing. I don't know. Um, I'm I'm not exactly sure how the game is broken down, but like, but yeah, you know, the average game is two to one, if you're. I get the fifties. Bases. The the fifties, I will say, were pretty cool. Like right. especially in New York. I mean, the same two teams won it every single year. That's true. Yeah, it was like. Well, what if you were a nineteen fifties baseball fan from anywhere else? Oh yeah, that element did suck. The there were good stars, but yeah, it did suck. That yeah, the the Yankees won five in a row from forty nine to fifty three. Then it was mm-hmm. Giants. Dodgers, Dodgers, Yankees, yeah, Yankees, Braves, Yankees, Dodgers. (laughs) Not a lot of variety there. No, like, what if you were a fan of? I don't know. Like, if what if you were a Kansas City A's fan? Yeah, Kansas City A's. Like, this team's gonna leave soon. We're 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 nowhere. Right, Midwest. We just found it very cocky of the Golden Days Committee. Um name themselves the golden days committee yes right right i i I think there were uh, there were other eras that were better um and i'm not even saying it had to be recent but probably i don't know i like i like having 30 teams and expanded playoffs it's pretty cool cool. (laughs) it's way better i I like four game fridays four game fridays yeah no i like i like multiple rounds of the playoffs and not just the two best teams in the world series yeah, I prefer I prefer how it is now where where it's not the Yankees every year in the World Series. Like that's, that's great for me. <laughs> yeah. Or just not the same one team. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I w- even if it was like the Texas Rangers. Yeah. They just made it to the World Series every year and be like it would be that's what people complain about with like the NBA. 
Exactly. Not happening. Not happening in Major League Baseball, thanks to playoff expansion, free agency, all that cool stuff. But the but the MLB was best when guys were in the were on the same team for 19 years and making Dude, no. Dude, I money. was looking at that. I was looking at uh, like the the F war leaders in the 50s, and you know how like if you play for the same team, like on the team section. Like it'll have the you know the the three letter abbreviation, but if you play for multiple teams, it'll have like the dashes across the yep. that line. There's like there was like none of that. I think the top seven, yeah, the top seven players of the '50s were all on the same team throughout the same decade. Uh, eight of the top nine, and uh, let's see, fifteen of the top seventeen, and seventeen of the top twenty were all on the same team. <laughs> That's yeah, yeah. Can you imagine how different baseball would have been if free agency existed back then? Right, exactly. Or if, it was the, or if it was just the same environment that it was, where it's like people are, you know, looking for the most money and other teams can offer that. Yeah, the it's like, well, the Yankees trade Babe Ruth to make room for Lou Gehrig after his extension. <laughs> yeah. Or it's just like the Yankees add on to, <laughs> it's like at the trade deadline, it's like the trade deadline, the Yankees, they have Mantle and they have Maris and they just traded for Duke Snyder. <laughs> right they're rumored to be in to be interested in larry doby yeah 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 the yankees right. would have had such an incredible team if they could take other people's players back then right that's exactly that we're not considering yeah the the providence grays to give old hoss radborn <laughs> a rest have acquired uh hugh daly <laughs> he's yeah. he's on the roster he's gonna give old hoss a rest didn't you're really though. you're really telling me that Ernie Banks would have been on the Cubs his entire career if he could have gone somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, exactly. Come on now. Exactly. It is funny though, because or yeah, like Bob Feller. Bob Feller's Bob Feller's getting traded after his fourth year with Cleveland. Yeah, dude. I'm telling He's you. He's like, that. I'm out of here. This I'm is telling stupid. You that much. I want to win some games for once. <laughs> yeah, like uh they they just yeah, they trade him at his had, I mean, to be fair. Yeah, it's like his peak was before 1948. That was like kind of the end of his peak, really. Right. Yeah. Yeah, dude. He would have like after he came back from military service, he would have been like, "All right, let's do this." Any other team? <laughs> right. Yeah. He's like, "I've been through enough in <laughs> Europe. Get me out. Get me out of Cleveland, please." When um, I was at war, I was like, "Man, I'm so glad I'm not in Cleveland right now." <laughs> Like, yeah, I'm so glad. I'm so glad I don't have to face. Uh, I'm so glad I don't have to face Yogi Berra right now. Um, uh, anyway, yeah, the Golden Days Committee. Right. What a, how does nobody talk about? Like, I had never thought about it until you brought it up before the show. I was like, yeah, why did they just call themselves? Like, hey, we were the best. Yes. 1950 <laughs> to 1969. Yeah. Fantastic. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Ballot number 80 has just come in. And it's no. it has Roger Clemens, I think, because it has him on the picture. That's cool. Um, it's, like um, a, it's like a link to an article. Yeah, Golden Days era. Shout out to them for their extreme confidence in yeah. their 20 in years their of baseball. Because like there's there's what today's game era, like that's that's uh, modern just modern baseball. I don't know why modern baseball is named modern baseball too, because it's not. It's like it's uh, 
what is the, what is modern baseball? I think it's like seventy to eighty nine. So that's not even right. Okay. Yeah. At least so today's game era. The eighties are very much not modern. Yeah, today's game era is objective. Early days committee is that's objective. Correct. Like that's correct. It is early. Uh, and then the earliest. And then golden days is is like hey. We got the be- okay. we got the golden yeah. 20 years here. Remember <laughs> yeah, Johnny Mize? The weird part is that the Modern Baseball Committee which is between 70 to 87, that used to be the Veterans Committee and that's actually like a that's actually a factually correct name. Modern Baseball from, you know, 70 to 87, which is not modern at all. Doesn't make much sense. And then obviously today's game, you know, 1988 to present that actually is valid. Yeah, there's four there's four different era committees. Two of them have objectively incorrect names. Yep. Uh not enough that's people are first, talking about it. That's the first it. red flag. Yeah, right. Not enough people are talking about it, but we're talking about it here on Above Replacement Radio. Um so so yeah. Uh so yeah. Well, so yeah, now we can get into our newly elected and newly, you know, not elected uh, members of the National Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, which is where Chris has been, where where I have, I and only I have been. Yeah, definitely Nobody not else Daniel, has ever been like there. ten times. Yeah. What? Uh, yeah, you have set foot in that building. You've seen it. You know what it looks like. You know the vibe. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I saw a lot of faces I liked, and I, I saw a lot of empty Somebody spaces. Like. I saw a lot of faces. I, I saw some faces I didn't like, and I saw some spaces that I could see some new faces that yeah. I'd like to see. Absolutely. That's my review of the Hall of Fame. Um, plus, uh, some good virtual tours of, uh, I think, the South End grounds, the uh, oh Comiskey Park and Ebbets Field. Yeah. Comiskey Park, if you didn't know, was host to the first all-star game um i'm sure some random little kid out there knows oh well actually i bet he forgot i bet he forgot he definitely forgot when he walked 100%. out <laughs> <laughs> um so uh i mean what do we want to get into first um i will talk about the early baseball uh election for some reason they this committee like never votes uh, this is the first election they had held since 2006. Do you know that? Uh, I mean, it, it makes, I didn't know that, but it makes a bit of sense. Considering... It makes a bit of sense, but 15 years seems absurd. Like maybe once every five years, it should be. Yeah, yeah. Once every like, um, eight years or something. Yeah, but there's a, there were a lot of deserving candidates here. Two of them got in, fortunately. Um, Buck O'Neill and Bud Fowler were elected into the baseball hall of fame by the early baseball committee and i think a lot of baseball fans don't have a ton of knowledge on either of them because it's not really taught as much as it should be um i was looking through both of their bios before we recorded and before the election and it's hard to disagree with either of their candidacies specifically um buck o'neill first of all like he has his own exhibit in the hall of fame anyway um yeah he does so i don't know how you could possibly make the case that he shouldn't have a plaque if he has his own entire exhibit he's basically in the hall of fame already um 
but he was he played in the Negro Leagues. He played for the Kansas City Monarchs. Uh, he's pr- pretty much just one of the biggest Negro League advocates, and just um, you know he had a large part in in players like Jackie Robinson who broke the color barrier. He retired in 1948 from playing, or at least the last year he played in the Negro Leagues was 1948, which is right around that time. Um, he, you know, he was a he was an executive. He was just one of baseball's biggest pioneers. He also received the Presidential Medal of Freedom at one point. Um, I don't know how you could. When was he? What was he given that? He was given it on December 7th, 2006, which was, I believe, it was right. Was it right after he died? It was right around the time he died. Um, that's a good question. I know he died in 2006, October 6th. 2000, yeah. So this was, so two months after he died, he was given the presidential medal of freedom. And that was also right before, that was also right after, um, it was right after that last election. Wow. So, yeah. True. Um, you know, this was the first, it, as weird as it sounds, this is the first time Buck O'Neill was up for hall of fame candidacy ever since receiving the presidential medal of freedom. Uh, yeah, he was given that posthumously by george w bush um you know he was just like i don't know really what else to say i mean he also has his own award the uh the beacon of life award uh or the the, i'm sorry the buck o'neill lifetime achievement award is what it's called um a few people it's given out around once every few years to certain people that uh promote baseball and just change its its way in society and i mean really like he's just used as a beacon of uh, success in the Negro Leagues and bringing them over to the to the Major League Baseball, obviously, uh, and especially with Negro League players um, getting like we're becoming Major Leagues this year, like they were added to Baseball Reference, they were recognized as Major Leagues. Um, it's hard not to put Buck O'Neill in the Hall of Fame when he's already done everything that he's done, and he should have been in earlier, but you know, whatever, it happened. And then Bud Fowler uh, was the first black professional baseball player Uh, he played independent league ball Uh, he started in 1878 um he obviously had to deal with a lot in that time uh there was an incident where uh, his entire team was fined because they refused to uh they refused to take they refused to play in a game in which they said uh like bud wasn't allowed to play because of the color of his skin Mm -hmm. uh he was also an executive and I mean, like all you need to really, all you need to know uh, is he was the first black professional player. Um, this was obviously, I think it was just around the start of the, na- when did the national league become a thing? Uh, 1876. Like 1876. He started playing in 1878. So he didn't quite make it to the national league, but regardless, uh, he was a, an executive with the Negro leagues and he was just a, another a very important figure, a pioneer, someone who deserves to be in. And I'm happy that both of them are in because they both deserve it pretty obviously. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, Buck, Buck O'Neill has already made a stamp in, you know, the baseball world and, and the baseball legacy. So it, it makes a ton of sense that he would get in. Yeah, both both of them, like, you're not going to understand their uh, Hall of Fame, uh, their their Hall of Fame what is it deservedness like based off of a bit a bit yeah him hall of fame candidacy off of a uh you know baseball reference page it's it's the history of what they of uh Mm -hmm. you know the stamp they made in you know the baseball legacy and baseball history 
which uh, they seem to have made a pretty big impact, you know, enough to have awards named after them and, and such. So yeah. Uh, yeah, it makes a lot of sense uh, why they are uh, joining many others in Cooperstown. Um, and then, uh, yeah, anything more on the uh, early days? Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, there were some other Negro leaguers who I think you can make a case for. Uh, the first one that I thought of was John Donaldson, who, or I'm, I'm sorry, not him. Uh, wait, is there multiple John Donaldsons? There must be, because I clicked on, I clicked on the baseball reference page. Yeah, yeah, him. Um, not all of his stats are actually up, but um, he was a very good player uh, in the Negro Leagues and Independent Leagues, just any league that he played in. I think he was deserving as well, but, uh, and I know he did get a few votes, I believe, but not quite enough. Right. Um, to, uh, I guess, I guess to be negative uh, and, you know, a non-Negro League player, uh, Bill Dolan getting no respect. Yes, him too. But do you really think the early <laughs> baseball committee is looking at his 70 B-War? <laughs> no. I, I agree with you. I wasn't going <laughs> to, I wasn't going to mention Bill Dolan, but you're not wrong. Yeah. Like uh, he only, listen, he only, well, he did hit 272. That is pretty respectable. That's, that's, that's right on respectable, <laughs> sir. <laughs> um, uh, 77 yeah. and a half F war as well. 70. Yeah. 75. Yeah. 77 and a half F war 75.2 B war. Um, yes, of course that is deserving. I'm not gonna, I don't yeah. expect, I mean, I can't expect the, the early baseball committee to be citing his 110 OPS plus in 10,000 at plate appearances. Right. Exactly. But if you did explain to them, percentage. If, you, if you did explain to them, 272 average with gold glove defense yeah that's true 100 <laughs> um, i mean dude a 358 career on base percentage when he played from 1891 to 1911 yeah he played from 1891 to 1911 and yeah. he had 52 more points of ops than omar viscal <laughs> <laughs> that's not that's omar viscal played the most offensive era, era ever this guy played in the least offensive era to be ever. fair he did just miss the 1880s yeah yeah he did you know maybe maybe if he, he had to face all old, old Haas we're looking at like a 720 or actually okay Don Don I guess uh you can exclude like two years because Don played in 1893 and 1894 and if you don't know <laughs> what happened in 1894 I mean no one really knows yeah. what happened no one really knows but he did he did have a 1011 OPS and a 138 OPS plus, which yeah, in today's it. game, Vladimir, that was that's higher than Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s OPS this year. Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. <laughs> yeah, like uh, and yeah, 110 OPS plus and 28, 28 and a half D War. Um, but yeah, like yeah. free Bill Dolan. True. But it, and it's weird because it's like you can't even use the eye test thing because literally no one, nobody ever saw this guy play. No one nobody who's voting that's currently saw this guy play. So it's like all you can do is look at the numbers and they say yeah. he's a Hall of Famer. I can't, you know, it's not the end of the world that he's not in the Hall of Fame, but he Put should Bill be. Dallin in the Hall of Fame. He was also a manager. Um, he was actually a 
pretty bad manager based on record, but we don't need to. Maybe that's why. Hey, you know, great players usually aren't great managers. He went 251 and 355 in four years with the uh, Brooklyn Super Bass and the Brooklyn Dodgers, and then also the Brooklyn Super Bass again. Yeah. Yeah. Ted Williams was a bad manager. He had a. He had 36 career ejections in 615 games. I gotta. Maybe that's why. I gotta calculate that. That's they're like this guy's just a. 615 games. 600. Yeah, I'm. I got it up right now. Uh, Five. Five point eight percent of games. One every every twenty games. One every. Yeah, it was one every seventeen. Once Uh, once a month. Yeah. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Once or twice a month, he was getting. He was the boot. out of there. <laughs> I mean, maybe he was trying to fire his team up. Yeah, but didn't but, work. Yeah. Um. <laughs> that might be it. I mean, like maybe the maybe the writers from from 1920 were like Bill Dallin, the mean guy. I mean, I've heard from many umpires. Yeah, yeah. All the all those writers had. We believe in the character clause. Yeah, they were all in. Anyway, Cap Anton, welcome to the Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, bring, come on in. First member of the 3000 Hit Club. We love you. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Bill Dolan, you know, 2036, let's make it happen. Yeah. Let's make it happen. I think we got to get on that train right now. Yeah. Can I, I, <laughs> 15 years from now, I want to be on the early baseball committee, please. <laughs> like, I don't know how oh. I can get on there. It's like, hey, me, neither me or you ever watch any of these guys play. Yeah, neither me or like who would be voting in the early baseball committee. Like, neither me or Buck Showalter have seen Bill Dolan play. So Bill like, Dolan died in 1950, and that's the cutoff of the early baseball committee. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's so 19, so he died in 1950. So. If you were alive while Bill Dolan was alive, you are at least 70. You're I least highly 70. doubt. I'm, I'm, I am sure most of the committee was under the age of 70. I right. am almost, I am positive most of the and committee was under the age If you were under the age of 110, you have never seen him play Major League Baseball, which I assume, yeah. you know, we do say that we do talk about the average age of the baseball of the of a baseball fan, but I would say that at least most of them were under 110. Yeah. Um, so yeah, look at the numbers. It's it's anyway, there's that's no the shame. early baseball committee. There's no highlight reel of Bill Dolan. <laughs> um is there any pictures of Bill Dolan? <laughs> yeah. It's like this is him making a diving grab. It's like, yeah, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of people in the league were making that play. <laughs> he I'm leaving him blank. Um so yeah look at this picture of him standing on the dugout that's how you know he was a hall of famer (laughs) yeah look at it look at us look at his posture that's a hall of fame posture um okay so i mean still some good results from the early baseball committee Mm -hmm. uh overall getting buck o'neill and what was it bud fowler Fowler. bud fowler yep um and then there was uh the golden, the golden age, age, the golden days era committee. The golden days, yeah. <laughs> the best, the best time to be a baseball fan. Yeah, three three ERA. Get out of here. Go to the bullpen. 
and go, go to the bull, go to the bullpen where you won't be used because everyone's going nine. Yeah. Go go join those other two scrubs out there in the bullpen. <laughs> yeah, in case, yeah, in case old Steve Carlton is is throwing 170 pitches and wants to throw three days from now into the eighth inning. Um, yeah. The Golden Days Committee, they elected, what, four people? Yes. They elected four people. Uh, not the most deserving guy, but they did elect four others. Um, I don't know. Where do we start? I think I'll start. Uh, I'll give uh, Minnie Minoso a nice shout out. Like, uh, I, think if it, I think out of the four people that made it, he was the most deserving. He was the most deserving. Um, you know, he was like his, his like overall wins above replacement might be a little underwhelming but i'm looking i have fan graphs pulled up between 1951 and 1959 uh the only players with more f war than Minnie minoso were mickey mantle willie mays eddie matthews stan musial and duke snyder all those guys are hall of famers yeah all those guys are hall of famers and like all timers like no doubt hall of famers like yeah. inner circle like how Jacob deGrom was describing like the hall of fame inner circle hall of famers. Um, so uh, like through a he, he put himself years, in good company through a 10 year stretch between 51 and 60, he had 6,500 plate appearances and a 136 OPS plus. Yeah. And he was uh very good on the bases, like led the league in stolen bases a few times. Uh, I yep, believe three times. Um, he led, the, yeah. he led the league in a lot of random things. Like he led in hits, he led in games played, he led in doubles, triples, stolen bases, caught stealing, slugging percentage once, total bases once, grounded a double play once, and then hit by pitches a million times. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's true. He gets on base. Yeah. Um. 387 career. Yeah. 300. Wait. Oh, a hundred. Uh. Oh, 387 career on base percentage, 195 yeah. times hit by pitch. Um, yeah, he, uh, yeah, over 2,000 hits as well in, uh, you know, just a little north of 8,000 plate appearances, uh, 299 career average, um, much, much better than respectable. And yeah, 130 career OPS plus with, um, you know, average defense as it looks like on the metrics side of things. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, given how good he was in the fifties in comparison to everyone else, I think, I think it's like a, a, a solid addition to the hall of fame. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. Um, this is, this is, this is a long overdue. Uh, I mean, isn't he like, he was one of the most influential players in white Sox franchise history. He's one of 25 players with um, a 385 on base percentage and 200 stolen bases excuse me one of 27 players i should say uh yeah i mean he was very versatile he was uh i mean he was also a pioneer for latin players too he was one of the first players from cuba yeah uh, he he led the white Sox. no not the white Sox. he led the um the new york cubans to the world series in their in one of their negro leagues yeah and he uh louis tion was on that team he strapped it up in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. Yeah, he also played forever. That was also too cool. <laughs> yeah, 20 he just, years. He just came in and got got some plate appearances. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, yeah I mean, 0 for, 
over two in his age 54 season, but no strikeouts. So he, he did get yeah. babbipped. <laughs> he did get babbipped twice. He got babbipped in his age I want to know. Season. I'm sure I'm sure it's out there, but I want to know the story of him just playing two games at age 54 after not playing, or even just 1976. Like this dude was out of the league for 12 years, and then he just came back to the White Sox for three games, then he came back four years later again. Yeah, the, the 1976 one makes less sense to me because like yeah if you're gonna do 1976 then you might as well do 1980 to do the five decade thing but like why did you do 1976 in the first place (laughs) it's like hey 40 50 yeah (laughs) yeah he played in five different decades um yeah i mean he was he got a hit in one of his at bats at age 50 just still i mean imagine playing in a game at age 50 and getting a hit regardless of even if he went one for eight yeah after 10 overall 12 years away from major league baseball Mm -hmm. um yeah so congratulations uh to Minnie minoso and his family who are Mm -hmm. probably going to be giving the speech um and then uh there were three more We'll get to we'll get to the absence of of Dick Allen after Last. we talk about these three. Um, Gil Hodges, or I, I guess we'll start with Jim Cott. Okay. Jim Cott seems the second most deserving. There's there's um, an argument to be made. Uh, I think injuries kept Tony Oliva off the field a little bit, uh, but you can go ahead and talk about Jim Cott. Yeah, Jim Cott. It doesn't really matter who's the most deserving. The reality is they were all deserving in some way true true uh yeah jim cott you know interesting career um like you know greg in terms of fielding he was greg maddox before greg maddox not necessarily in terms of pitching uh you know a one eight a 108 career era plus 4500 innings uh 4500 career innings it's it's weird like and uh what was his FIP career FIP three four one career FIP three four five career ERA. We we cited uh at one point the difference between his B war and F war. Yeah, it's weird. Whacked. Right. Very very weird. Extremely weird. Um, yeah, Jim Cott like he's he's someone like baseball fans have grown to know, especially in the broadcast booth. I was going to say, he was, he's a baseball lifer. Like, he's been around this entire time. Yeah, he, he certainly has. And I think, you know, that's something that can probably help him in a ballot like this, you know, mm-hmm. how, the relationships he's, he's probably built. Um, not saying oh, yeah. that, like, didn't deserve it or anything. You know, I wouldn't have voted him in necessarily, you know, 108 ERA plus, career ERA plus. He did do it in 4,500 plus innings, but you know, it was never like, I was going to say he, he never seemed to like, you know, be too dominant, but you know, the guy, the guy seems very like well-liked within the baseball world. So, you know, good, good for him, I guess. Right. Um, yeah. Like I want to, I'm trying to figure out this difference between the P war and F war. Because it is yeah. just very forty five point two pitching B war. Because it says fifty, it says fifty point five at the top. At the top, because that, that includes hitting. 
that includes and he played him. before mostly before there was a dh or part, yeah, partially he was as an a al decent, yeah, he played for the twins for very long he was a decent enough hitter and then 70.9 f4 um with and even when you look at his like his peripherals like you know I, i'm not gonna knock on 4.89 strikeouts per nine career because it was the 50s and 60s and 70s um but like 2.2.15 walks per nine 0.78 home runs per nine um a 282 babbit against it's all it all seems very average for his career um but either way i mean 70.9 f4 uh obviously he played. He was also a guy who played in many different cent or many different decades. He played in four of them, and he played consecutively every year from 1959 to 1983, which is very impressive. He pitched until age 44, starting at age 20. Um, yeah, I mean, he spent a large portion of his life on the mound. Yes, yes, he did, and uh, yeah, now, now in the booth, and yeah, he's a Hall of Famer now. I, I don't know. There's, it's it's weird to. Also, not to mention, he did, like, you mentioned the ERA+, plus, but he also did pitch in the most difficult era to accumulate ERA+. plus. Correct. Yeah, his his lifetime ERA was 3.45. Which is the same as Kurt Schilling or similar to Kurt Schilling. Yeah, Schilling's at 3.46, I believe. Yeah. Um, Which, you know, different eras obviously mean different things, but, you know, if you want some perspective on how it looked on the field, that's what it is. True very true there um so yeah so so yeah jim cott elected in there was i feel like there was a large campaign for him like by the other baseball lifers for him to get in Mm -hmm. um he seems to have built many relationships uh and then gil hodges was also elected in with uh 43.9 43.9 B award. Do you know the details on, on uh, how many votes he got out of the 16? I think he got 12. 12. Um, he got 12 I, out of let me check. 16. Um, golden days. <laughs> the golden days. Uh, results. Um, yeah, okay, so Hodges, Cott, and Oliva all got exactly 75%, which was the threshold, and then Mini Mignoso got 87.5%. Nice, nice. So, you know, it was just barely. And then uh, Buck O'Neill got 13. Who was, who was not voting for Buck O'Neill? I would love to know that. <laughs> um, right. And then Bud Fowler got 75%. John Donaldson got eight. Vic Harris got ten. Yep, um, yep. Bill Dolan got less than four votes. No Lefty O'Doul got five votes. Uh, I'm telling you, we're going to try to change that tune 15 <laughs> years from now. Um, It was very funny how the breakdown of this ballot went, where it was like, Minnie Minoso with 14 votes, Gil Hodges, Jim Cott, Tony Oliva with 12, Dick Allen with 11, and then everybody else got less than four. Uh, yeah. If you're also if you're curious, the um, the voters for the Golden Days Air Committee were Rod Carew, Fergie Jenkins, Mike Schmidt, John Sherholtz, Bud Selig, Ozzy Smith, Joe Torre, and that's for players. And then executives: Al Avila, William Dewitt Jr., Ken Ken Kendrick, Kim Ang, and Tony Regans. And then media are Adrian 
Borges Jr., Steve Hurt, Jamie Jaron, Jack O'Connell. And then for the early, early baseball, Burt Blylevin, Ferguson Jenkins, John Scherholz, Ozzie Smith, Joe Torrey, Bill DeWitt Jr., Ken Kendricks, Tony Regans, uh, Gary Ashwell, Adrian Burgess Jr., Leslie Heapfee, Jim Henneman, Justice Behill, Steve Hurt, Rick Hummel, and John Thorne. Those are the voters. A lot of most of the early baseball committee voters were media members, and there was and it was mostly players and executives for the uh, Golden Days committee. Yeah, yeah, John Thorne. John Thorne, I, I'll trust. Yeah, even if he's not like super analytical, but I just see him in every documentary. <laughs> yep, it's like um, you know what he knows what he's talking about. Yeah, you know he'll tell you a nice. An, he definitely a nice he quip. definitely voted for Buck O'Neill and Buck Fowler. Yeah, maybe he didn't vote for Bill Dolan, but he probably knows a cool story about Bill Dolan. There's a chance nobody voted for Bill Dolan. Yeah, right. All we know is he got less than four votes. Yeah, it could have been three, it could have been two, it could have been one, and it could have been zero. We don't we we don't want to know. Yeah, I can't wait till like 2051 when Bill Dolan gets elected and there's no descendants left, (laughs) and. And it's like, I mean, well, you know, he did he retired 140 years ago, but you know, look at that, look at that B war. Yeah. Look at that F war, 77.5. Pretty sick. Yep. Um yeah, so uh yeah, Gil Hodges got 12 of the votes. Um he got any what what would you say about about Gil Hodges? Well, he was one of the one of the many great players on the the Brooklyn Dodgers in the fifties when they won five pennants. Uh, it was, it was him, Duke Snyder and Jackie Robinson. Those are kind of the big three, statistically speaking, at least. And uh, Roy, Roy Campanella. And Roy Campanella as well. Um, from 1949 to 57, he was 11th in the majors in F4 with 38.3. Um, the people ahead of him, Stan Musial, Hall of Famer, Duke Snyder, Hall of Famer, Ted Williams, Hall of Famer, Mickey Mantle, Hall of Famer. Jackie Robinson, Hall of Famer. Larry Doby, Hall of Famer. Yogi Berra, Hall of Famer. Richie Ashburn, Hall of Famer. Willie Mays, Hall of Famer. Eddie Matthews, Hall of Famer. Those are all A-list Hall of Famers. And from that period of time, wherein most of them, if not all of them, were at their peaks, maybe not Ted Williams, maybe his peak was a little earlier. But point is, um, he was, Gil Hodges was right there with him. Yeah, that's true. And this was also right after the war, too, so it's not like anyone had to miss you know, because it was 49 to 57, so. Uh, yeah, the only, the only. And not that I mentioned, Gil Hodges also went to the military. He fought in the war for two years. Yeah, and he, like, only some, only some of that crowd might have gone to Korea. Um, but true. not, it wasn't like a thing where over half the league was going to Korea. It was only a That's true. select few. <laughs> that was most of. Yeah, it was Ted Williams, Willie Mays, and. I can't really think of many other, many other Did players. Musial go to war? Who? Musial. Musial. Uh, I think he he had one year in military service. That's what I, I know from so. his reference page. Either way, um, Gil Hodges, obviously one of the better players on those Dodgers teams, two-time World Series champion. Um, he was kind of a lifetime New Yorker because he did play for the Dodgers when they moved to Los Angeles, but then he went back and played for the Mets for two years. Yeah, he pulled um, so, the old, he pulled the old Willie Mays like he did. after, after San Francisco, he went, he went to the Mets. Back in New York. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think he's definitely, you know, having that sort of, um, that sort of like reputation in New York, it's definitely going to help your hall of fame case. Cause that is a very important city to be an important figure in, um, which is, yeah. definitely, you know, it's good for him. Um, he was obviously a great offensive player. Um, he had, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight qualifying seasons with an OPS plus above 120 mm-hmm. uh, during the golden day, golden ages of baseball. <laughs> um, 43.9 career uh, B-War. And what was his... He never topped... He actually he got pretty close on the BBWAA ballots. He topped out at 60.1% in 1981. Or, excuse me. 63.4% in 1983, which was his last year on the ballot. So he was definitely trending in the right direction when he went off the BBWAA ballot. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a very, you know, a dynamic player. Uh, first baseman and an outfielder, which I feel like that combination was much more rare back in this time. Yeah, yeah, r- right, exactly. Like, it's definitely, it's a little more common now, but... Um, you know, 50s, it's like you're kind of one or the other, especially when Duke Snyder was playing first for a large part of that time, too. Yeah. Yeah, it, the the um, the induction of uh, Gil Hodges, like, it, uh, it definitely makes sense with... Yeah. The, it definitely makes sense with the uh, crew of, of people vote, like, the Golden Days type type people, like, you know, he, he was a big part of these, of the pennant mm-hmm. teams. And, you know, uh, he was, uh, you know, a, you know, power hitting outfielder or what outfielder. Or, yeah. First baseman and outfielder. Yeah. First baseman and outfielder. Um, like, uh, yeah. Like, you know, big part of these huge, uh, amazing Dodgers teams. So it makes sense that he would be, uh, elected this way. And, uh, yeah, it, makes sense and you know nothing nothing to get nothing to get mad about i think I he's say. like a he's a perfect era committee hall of famer yeah yeah right right up there for sure yeah and then and lastly uh, lastly yeah tony oliva uh one of i believe he was a lifelong minnesota twin um which was cool yep he was an outfielder um had some injury troubles uh most particularly he was so let me just tell the story of tony oliva um from 1962 the year he debuted until 1971 he had 5,000 plate appearances and a 141 ops plus he was awesome and then in 72 he got hurt early in the season and from that point in his career on he had a 103 ops plus so clearly that like kind of derailed his career so i think when you look at the career of tony oliva you look pre-injury yeah, correct. Yeah, he got three batting titles in that span, mm-hmm. and like he was a big part of a he was a part of a big part of that '65 team that went to the World Series. You know, everyone yeah. remembers them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know, got helped get them to a World Series with Harmon Killebrew, and uh, I don't know if Rod Carew was there yet. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that year he won the batting title. He led the league in hits five times and led the league in doubles four times um Mm -hmm. led the league in slugging once yeah it is funny like he had his best year 
the year before his injury, like he could have been taking a turn for even better and then yeah. got hurt. Um, he was one of the, he's definitely a, uh, he's also another Cuban born player. Um, should mention that. Yeah. Probably, this, yeah, probably a, a pace setter there. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, three batting titles, like you mentioned. Led the league in slugging one of the years that he also won the batting title. Uh, how how wild. You lead the league in batting, you lead the league in slugging, you get 10th in the MVP vote. What a... That's tough. That shouldn't happen ever. Yeah, and, and you... In today's game, that's it... top three minimum. Well, they were probably looking at his negative uh, 1.7 D war in 1971. That's true. That's true. That's probably what they were looking at. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it makes sense. Yeah. The eye test, the eye test gave them the defensive war. That's what <laughs> they knew it off the top of their heads. They didn't know. They didn't need to know. Yeah. On um, the computer. Either way, Tony Oliva, um, one of the best offensive players of his era before his injury. Uh yeah, true. And I mean, you for that mention... like he was very much on a Hall of Fame trajectory before that point. A seven-win season in 1970. Uh, yeah, he got like... second in the MVP voting that year, so at least they got it right on that on that front. Yeah, you did mention the 141 OPS plus in like his first 5,000 plate appearances or so. Like that's yeah, that's right on 141. Like you mentioned. Uh, with the Larry Walker thing, like you mentioned, that is a reference point for Larry Walker and Chipper Chip Jones. Chipper Jones, yeah. I mean, he was – think of him like that offensively for the first 10 years of his career. Yeah, yeah. And if he if he didn't get injured, maybe he could have gathered more plate appearances, maybe got more like 8,000, and it would have looked – He probably could have gotten in him. via BBWAA if he didn't get hurt. Yeah, very much potentially. Like, he had – 1,917 1, career hits. You know, if that injury doesn't derail him, maybe it's closer to like 2,500. And, yeah. uh, you know, also a guy who did mention he also had, he also had 84 stolen, or 84 stolen bases during this time. And this was before the time when the stolen base resurgence had started, which was yeah, 1976. True. Uh, I'm going to look at for some. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he was. Tony Oliva was one of 69 players in baseball history with a 140 OPS plus in their first 10,000 or in their first 10 seasons, minimum 5,000 plate appearances. Uh, obviously that's, you know, it's not the, it's like a medium size list, I guess. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's still, there's you know, a, all, uh, when you, when you look up and down this list, it's all great names. Yeah. There's like, or, or I, names that had a great first 10 years, like Prince Fielder, um, obviously, almost, honestly, that's kind of a very good, uh, comparison, I guess. Yeah. There's like, oh, there's also like over a hundred position players in the MLB or in the, in the national baseball hall of fame. That's and true. there's 69 players on that list. So it's like, it's probably mostly hall of famers. Yeah. Uh, you got, uh, you got the other Billy Hamilton on here. Yes. A lot of these are older guys too. Yeah. Ty Cobb. Definitely. Oh, Ty Cobb, very much on there. Um, yeah, you know, you got... Um, Dan Brothers. Ed, Ed Delahanty's on here. Joe Kelly's on here. Elmer Fick is on here. Elmer Flick. Yeah, Joe, uh, Joe Kelly with an E in the... Joe in, Kelly with an E. Um, Home Run Baker was on here, of course. Oh, yeah. I wonder how many of 
done it since Oliva. In the last 50 years, uh, he is one of 29 players to do it. Yeah, in the last 50 years, one of 29 players to do that. Yeah. That's impressive. Albert Pujols, probably. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Tony Oliva, like, yeah, hot start to his career, ended up getting injured and uh, being rewarded for, you know, how his career started before the injury, uh, getting in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, got the approval of the Golden Days Committee, which, you know, yeah. they play it. They were in the Golden Days. And it's weird. It's funny. You mentioned Mike Schmidt's on the committee. Like, his career started in 1972. I know, dude. The era ends in 1969. I mean, I get that maybe not everybody. Yeah. Well, actually, no. There's Like, uh, I don't know. There's how many. Like, if you were, if you. I mean, to be if fair, Fergie Jenkins your, was also on the early baseball committee. In like, if you started your career in like 1965 as a 22-year-old, you were born in like 43, you're like 78, I guess you're capable. Are you referring to Fergie Jenkins? Um, No. Really? You just nailed every single part of that. Wow. <laughs> you literally said if you started, if you began your career in 1965 as a 22-year-old, that's yeah, exactly yeah. Well, what he Fergie- did. Fergie Jenkins, I will always respect the opinion of. He's absolutely very capable. No, anything that man says is correct. Yeah, he's a very capable yeah. uh, person. I bet he was the one guy that voted for Bill Dolan. Yeah, yeah, I bet. I bet he was like, <laughs> I bet he was like, I mean, look at this D War. <laughs> this, and you compare that with an, you, you uh, complement that with a 110 OPS plus. I mean, yeah. we're looking at. Fergie uh, recently turned 79. Happy belated birthday. Oh, yeah. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Fergie Jenkins. Um, one of the best social media follows out there, in my opinion. Yeah. Just a one bunch of, of positivity. Ever. Yeah, and um he's getting his uh he's getting his statue revealed in 2022 in Chicago. So I'm wondering when that's, that's gonna be. Yeah. If, if ever there was a reason for me to go to Wrigley, I've never I was been gonna to say Wrigley Chris, Chris might catch a flight. I, I might have to and i might have to try i might bring a sign that that's like from connecticut to get a picture with fergie jenkins, fergie jenkins. <laughs> born and raised a red sox fan yeah never forget i'll never forget those 1976 <laughs> to 77 seasons yeah yeah i thought we were gonna go back to back pennants <laughs> unfortunately the rest of the team was slacking fergie it wasn't yeah. your fault we know you had a 122 era plus with the team in your career yeah of course yeah great <laughs> great pitcher um yeah. so yeah that's the uh those those are the players who were elected and uh now to the players who will probably not be elected the bbwaa ballot um, wait did we want to talk about uh the one glaring omission from the golden days committee oh yeah we gotta get into that yeah yeah um dick allen yeah what are we doing here Dick Allen. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Dick Allen, 7,315 career plate appearances, uh, 912 OPS, 156 OPS plus. Um, and uh, I found a list of players with bet- players, and I'm not even making it like minimum, I'm making it between between 6,000 career plate appearances and 8,000 career plate appearances. With G- an this is OPS the Gianta plus, test. With an OPS plus of 150. 
Uh, you got Mark McGuire. He's not a Hall of Famer, but he definitely would be if not for uh, his uh, steroid use. Um, not even allegations at this point, just admittance. Um, and then you got Joe DiMaggio, Johnny Mize, Dick Allen, Hank Greenberg, Dan Brothers. Uh, outside of Mark McGuire and Dick Allen, all Hall of Famers. You know, Dick Allen doesn't have any of the steroid stuff or anything really controversial. There's literally nothing. <laughs> like, there is just straight up no reason. Like, if Barry Bonds not a Hall of Famer, it's like, well, because of the steroids. Pete Rose not a Hall of Famer. Well, because of the gambling stuff. There is nothing against Dick Allen person personally. And for whatever reason, he just gets the sword end of the stick every single time. Yeah. Also, uh, from 1966 to 1972, he led uh, he led the league in weighted runs created plus with a 166. And it's not like he was injured at any point. And like he won an MVP. He won rookie of the year. He was a seven time all star in 15 seasons. Uh, I also he also uh, unfortunately, he passed away last year. And I thought maybe that was at least going to be. Like, oh, you know, people were going to vote for him because of that. Like, it was already a shame that he was, if he was ever going in, it was posthumously. But now we, we have to wait even longer. Yeah, yeah, he does. And it was ridiculous. In the, in the seven-year span that he led the league in weighted runs created, plus he averaged 137 games played a year. So, like, yeah. it's not cherry-picking there. He no. was uh, full-time in uh, all those years. Yeah, like uh, just just a yeah, like you said, a glaring omission. What a that's that's an unfortunate one. That's the one that I was like, if I was looking at the ballot, I was like, well, there's one person who I know is going in, and it's Dick Allen, and he didn't. Right, which is insane. Right, you're right. Um, and it is yeah, it's Golden Days Golden Days Committee. We heard the names of who was voting, um, and uh. You know, I, I guess, yeah, probably not looking as at much at probably not looking as much at era adjusted statistics, wins above replacement, um, and uh, you know, like not looking at you know the the, the joke I made was like you know why uh, Gil Hodges got in and not Dick Allen. You know, Gil Hodges had more home runs and more hits. That's really the only reason. <laughs> That's really the only reason you could put him above. Uh, but when you look at, you know, OPS op- and then you break it down by era and look at like, you know, Gil Hodges definitely played in a more offensive era than Dick Allen. So he had a bit of an advantage um, with the uh, non league adjusted statistics. Yeah, it's rough. It's rough. It's hard to it's hard to defend. Yep. Yeah, it is very much so. Um, I'm glad we could make a little bit of a case for, for Dick Allen because I mean, it's like, I didn't think we'd have to, there's not, there's, there's not much to dig too deep into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, I guess last thing I should look at is like war seven. I'm guessing his war seven would be at least like average for, uh, whatever he was. I forget what his main position was first base uh something like that yeah yeah his his peak war was above average for a third baseman (laughs) um which is what they have him as and his jaws was like right around there yeah his 
but yeah, his his peak war was above average for a Hall of Fame third baseman, I should say. Yeah, he was above average Hall of Fame third baseman in peak war. That includes Mike Schmidt. That includes Eddie Matthews, George Brett, Wade Boggs, um, Brooks Robinson. Yeah. All these guys. Chipper Jones. That includes all of them. And he was, you know, above average for a Hall of Fame third baseman in having in, in their seven best years of their career. Yeah. Quite, uh, uh, do we want to talk about BBWAA? Quite ugly. Um, do I want to, you know, do I, you know, I, I do want to, but do I really want to? No. Not really. No, it's the same it's, thing every single year. It's hard to get too enthusiastic about this. Um, there has been one positive from this year, and it's the amount of negativity on the side of one player. Um, yeah, that is true. Yeah. <laughs> for the wrong, for well, I guess for, for the, the reasons. right reasons, but like. Well, for the wrong cause. For the wrong cause, yes. The, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, Omar Vizquel is is. Sitting he's, at ten percent. He's exactly. at ten percent of eighty. What is he minus? Minus twenty six. Which yeah. is insane. So twenty point four percent of the ballots were revealed. So what does that put him on pace for? What's twenty six times five? One hundred thirty. He's on. He's not going to lose one hundred thirty votes, but he's on pace to lose one hundred thirty. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah, I could see him. I could see him losing like seventy. That'd be crazy. I could see him getting to 100, honestly. Right. Uh, like, these Vizquel drops, they've just been coming in every day. It's not like there was a big wave of them and then it cooled down. Like, it's just been very consistent the entire time. True, true. Um, and then, uh, I guess, you know, I guess this, uh, this election was has been good news so far for David Ortiz. Yeah, and that's about it. <laughs> And, and also Scott Rowland and Scott Rowland. Yeah. And, and a lot of this is speculation still like this is coming in at slower rates than we've ever seen. It has picked up a little bit. Like it, at this point, we are right around the usual uh, place that we're at this time. All right. Yeah. Okay. Which, good to know. Yeah. Um, I'll just go through some quick percentages. So we're through 80 ballots. That's about 20.4% of the ballots that are known. Uh, Bobby Abreu is at 12.5 percent. He is netted negative one. Barry Bonds is at 78.8 percent. He is netted plus one. Roger Clemens is at 78.8 as well. He is netted plus two. Um, Todd Helton is at 57.5 percent. He's at plus six. Andrew Jones is at 50 percent. He is netted plus one. Jeff Kent is at 23.8 percent. He is netted netted minus two. David Ortiz is at 82.5 percent, the highest of anyone on the ballot. Um, We'll talk about him later, but if anyone, he definitely has the best chance of getting inducted this year. And he probably has the only chance of getting inducted this year. Um, Manny Ramirez is at 42.5%. He is netted negative two. Um, A-Rod is at 48.8%. He's just below uh, the 50% marker. Scott Rowland is at 71.3%. He's netted plus six. I think he's definitely on track to get inducted next year uh, because this is just a very interesting year with it's a very crowded ballot which just leaves you know not a lot of room for a lot of potential hall of famers um you have kurt schilling at 
71.3%. It's his last year. He's netted negative six. Um, mm. So it's, it, he's not going to make it. It's not going to happen. Um, Gary Sheffield is at 45%. He is, he is broke even. Sammy Sosa is at 21.3%. He is at plus one. Uh, we already mentioned Omar Vizquel is at 10% with minus 26. And Billy Wagner is at 51.3% netting plus three. Chris, what have, your been, what, have your, what have been your main takeaways from this Hall of Fame season? Um, probably just probably the good news for, uh, for David Ortiz, somewhat decent news for like Alex Rodriguez. He's getting a little higher than I would have expected because well, like, that's he, just here. Like, I think A-Rod ends up with like 35% of the vote, which is, I think where Bonds and Clements were after their first year. That's true. That is true. Um, but also let's remember, like if A-Rod was debuting this year, he would probably have fallen off the ballot. Um, is like. I mean, he's obviously a much different case with steroids than anyone else because he has the most in, in, eh, infamous case of it. He lied on air. He, you know, got he got a two hundred whatever it was game suspension because of it. Yeah, yeah. It's it, he was a very different case. Yeah, and like yeah, actually suspended, actually caught cheating, breaking the rules. Unlike, you know, as everyone else so, except for Manny Ramirez. Yeah. Right. Like actually breaking the rules, you know, as some people don't like to believe Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and Sammy Sosa didn't and Mark McGuire didn't, you know, yeah. they didn't break the rules. Uh, as even though people think, you know, maybe morally they did, I didn't really care. Um, but anyway, yeah, like, yeah, Alex Rodriguez, uh, a little higher than I expected. David Ortiz, a little higher than I expected. Um, and then like, there's, you mentioned there were some like minus twos out there for like Manny Ramirez and Jeff Kent. Uh, yeah, like pretty crowded ballot. So like there were mm. Kent and Ramirez were probably some guys like ninth, 10th options on the ballot who this just is... got kicked off because of Ortiz and Rodriguez. So just to put some things in perspective here, this is kind of what was expected to happen because the last time there was a shutout on the ballot, it was 2013. And then if you look at 2014, which was the next year, you had all everyone from the previous ballot returning. You had Tom Glavin, Greg Maddox, and Frank Thomas, all his first years, all no-brainers. Uh, so if you look at some of the drops from that year, Alan Trammell lost 31 votes that year. Uh, Edgar Martinez lost 20. Jeff Bagwell lost 12. Rafael Palmero lost 10. Mike Piazza actually gained. Uh, Tim Raines lost 14. Kurt Schilling lost 14. Lee Smith lost 19. Larry Walker lost 16. Um, it's going to be a it's a big year for drops. I think next year is going to be a big year for gains because so many people are going to be added back onto people's ballots because, you know, there's definitely four people that are not coming back. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, along with no one going in last year, there was also nobody maxing out on ballots. That's true. Yeah. So it's this, it's everyone coming back plus two definite first years a couple of other strong first years, Jimmy Rollins getting a few votes, uh, Tim Lincecum, Joe Nathan, Jonathan Papelbon, Mark Teixeira have each gotten one, which doesn't really matter. But, you know, they, they have caught the attention of a very small amount of people. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Clemens, Sosa, uh, Bonds, and Schilling mm-hmm. are all gone after this next year, which are, it's probably going to open some things up. Um, and I think there's only one strong first year candidate next year. And next year we get to start the conversation of uh, the sign stealing scandals because it's Carlos Beltran. Yeah, it's coming back. 
Yep. Have you gotten tired of it yet? Now we got a whole new case. It's like it's like when uh it's like when COVID new variants come out. Yeah, we got the it's we like, got the oh, you, you're tired variant. of Delta, here comes Omicron. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, oh, you're tired of steroid talk, here comes trash cans. <laughs> Phase one, Carlos Beltran. Yeah, like uh yeah, let's go to <laughs> let's go to Carlos Beltran. Yeah. He's 2017. Yep. <laughs> the worst year year of his career. Yeah. But you know, which you know, all, as it should all... be, it was the last year of his career. He was 37. He was 40, actually. He was 40 years old. He had an 81 OPS plus. Yeah. But, it's, but he cheated. How much of his 666 OPS was affected yeah. by the trash cans? Listen, I'm sorry, man. I understand you had 10,522 10, plate appearances with a 121 OPS plus and 300 stolen bases and 300 and 400 home runs before that year. But we can't let you in. Yeah, and you know, we saw that athletic article that had some anonymous sources saying that you led the way and yeah. you yelled at you. But yelled there was also AJ other Hinge. ones saying that other people led the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you were like, AJ, I know you're my manager, but step aside, we're banging trash cans. I know I just got here. <laughs> yeah. But I'm a veteran, dude. Yeah, I've been around. I've been, I've played for the Astros when they were the NL Astros. Yeah, I yeah. Played with Bagwell and Biggio and Berkman. Yeah, and you know what we did? We banged trash cans <laughs> in 2004. Dun dun dun! Plot twist. <laughs> Investigate the 04 Astros. <laughs> um. Yeah. Uh. So yeah, that'll be fun really and annoying. Yeah. Um. Um. Yeah, what anything else you want to say on this here? Uh no, not really. Are, are I think we the gonna... biggest okay. I think the biggest concern has been the lack of gains from people. Uh by this point last year, Todd Helton was like plus twelve or whatever. Uh we are through 80 ballots. Todd Helton and Scott Rowland are leading the way with a plus six. And that is very concerning. Uh not a lot of people have really budged on their holdovers, or they've they've kept their holdovers. Actually, some of them haven't kept them. But not a lot of people are are open minded to the fact of adding people, uh, yeah, which I, I guess mean, makes sense on a crowded ballot. But especially with two first years, like if someone didn't vote for Scott Rowland on an eight person ballot last year, they're probably doing the same people with Ortiz and A Rod this year. Yeah, it makes sense. Same I mean, there's always going to be else. those. Um, I think, I think next year is the year that. Scott Rowland's going to get in. I think he's going to have a big year with gains with everyone coming off. And he's going to be one of the best players on the ballot with Bonds and Clemens and possibly Ortiz and Schilling and Sosa off of it. Right. And there's always going to be like the blank ballot people who are like, yeah, Steve like it's, they're not maxing out on people, but there are people who are th- maxing out on mm-hmm. players they can use. And like when, when, if they're maybe it's possible they're voting for all four guys that are, uh, going to be off the ballot next year who are um, and then they're going to maybe add four guys potentially um, who knows um, I mean if I just want to say also just because we're probably about to wrap up this conversation if you want to learn more about any specific hall of fame cases uh, we have an entire series from last year where we went over uh, what Bobby Abreu uh, Mark Burley Todd Helton Andrew Jones Jeff Kent uh, Scott Rowland, Kurt Schilling, 
Billy Wagner, and then all of the steroid guys grouped together. So Bonds, Clemens, and Omar Vizquel, and Omar Vizquel. That's right. We twinned Omar. That's if you're gonna watch one, I would make that the one. But, yeah, that was just. Uh, fun. If you want to learn more about them, we have a we did a really good job. Uh, we did a lot of research. We made fair cases on both sides of everyone. I would like to say. Yeah, if you're like if you're sitting at home thinking like, man, above replacement radio. Did not do much research for this episode. It's because we did it all last year. We did. So head on. We, we went hard on Hall of Fame talk last year. Yeah. Head on over to all that stuff last year. It's no yeah. point in us repeating everything we said last year because it's like all of our points stand exactly yeah. the same. We hit everywhere. Like, because also episodes. nothing has really changed about the Hall of Fame, like the Hall of Fame as it is, except two players potentially of us adding on the ballot in this year and we Um, both voted for 10 last year yeah we both voted for 10 you know there's no we're not going to be adding anyone except you know unless it's a first year like we're not adding jeff kent this year spoiler alert i don't think i i don't think you are (laughs) yeah i don't think i'm not yeah (laughs) um yeah do you want to reveal let's do the the reveal of our ballots uh yeah um, maybe we can power rank them again. I, I, I still had that off it, the top of my head. I still had it in my notes from last year. And then I just, I don't remember mine. I literally was, you know, children cover your ears. I was on the toilet, readjusting them, readjusting the, uh, thing. And it took me literally less than a minute. <laughs> okay. I don't, I, I'll just do mine off the top of my head. Um, um do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? Um, I'll go I'll go first because I think I think I value my Hall of Fame picks maybe a little less. Uh okay. so I'll save the I'll save the validated opinion for for last. No, you have a validated opinion on this. I have show. a validated opinion, but I think I think yours is a little more validated because you've been into this for longer. Um I've been into this for maybe the length of this podcast being a thing. Um at least like more hardcore into it, mm-hmm. making mock ballots. I forced you. Yes. I was like, Chris, uh, we're going to talk about Hall of Fame and we're not going to stop. And I'm gr- I am grateful for it. Yeah. I'm not I'm not going to lie. I think it's a very it's a nice, new, interesting add on into a baseball conversation, I will say, uh, especially in the offseason. It makes the offseason a lot more especially during a lockout, especially during the lockout. It's all we got. This is yeah. all we got. Like what we're doing next episode. Big question mark. <laughs> but we have oh, the yeah. Hall of Fame talk this episode. Um, so, uh, I guess I'll start with my drops or like, do, or is it considered an ad when it's a first year? No. Okay. So, um, earplugs, I'm dropping Billy Wagner and I'm also dropping Gary Sheffield. Um, uh, Billy Wagner was ninth on my power ranking last year. I think he was third on mine. He got the boot. Yeah, we were, that was our biggest discrepancy. Um, so uh that means yeah I I brought in uh I brought in Alex Rodriguez and David Ortiz and that is alongside um Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Kurt Schilling, Andrew Jones, Scott Rowland, Todd Helton, uh Bobby Abreu and Sammy Sosa and uh my power rankings are basically that, and, and I skipped over Rodriguez and Ortiz. Uh, number 10, 
in my ballot power rankings is Sammy Sosa. Number nine is Bobby Abreu. Number eight is Todd Helton. Number seven is David Ortiz. Number six is Scott Rowland. Number five is Andrew Jones. Number four is Alex Rodriguez. Uh, if you want to know my justification for like why I think like Rodriguez is a Hall, Rodriguez is a Hall of Famer. It's what it's basically what you did before 2005. If you are a confirmed steroid user during the time in which they uh, were using steroids, Rodriguez had like almost like 70 WAR in a nine-year period between like 96 and 2004. Pretty undeniable for me. Uh, even if he took steroids for more than half of his career, uh, still pretty amazing what he did while steroids were perfectly legal and non-regulated. Uh, and then number three for me, Kurt Schilling, um, you know, one of the greatest playoff pitchers ever, arguably the greatest like playoff starter ever. Um, if I'm thinking correct, maybe not greatest playoff starter ever, but probably greatest playoff starter well, number one or two in the 21st century. Um, along with uh, AD pitcher B war uh, number two, Roger Clemens, number one, Barry Bonds. Those are kind of self-explanatory. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, all right. So let's, let's hear Daniel Curran's ballot. Okay. So I'll just go over my ballot from last year. I, last year I put down Bobby Abreu, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Todd Helton, Andrew Jones, um, Manny Ramirez, Scott Rowland, Kurt Schilling, Gary Sheffield and Billy Wagner. And obviously none of my opinions of them have changed, have changed, but I put Ortiz and A-Rod on the ballot this year, which meant I had to drop two. And I also dropped Gary Sheffield. Um, he was kind of the one I was least passionate about. Defensive numbers aren't very good for him. He was also had the steroid allegations, which is, you know, it doesn't, I don't want to say it helps his case. I don't want to say it hurts it, but it doesn't help it. Um, and then I went, back and forth in my mind for weeks thinking about the, the next player I was going to drop. I had like three or four different people I was considering and it was a really tough decision. It hurts me to say this, but I dropped Kurt Schilling. Wow. I did. Um, my justification is it has nothing to do with the things he said, his actions, all of that. The, the justification was that he asked to be taken off the ballot, so I felt less guilty about taking him off mine. Right. That's kind of about it. So with that being said, my ballot this year is Bobby Abreu, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Todd Helton, Andrew Jones, David Ortiz, Manny Ramirez, Alex Rodriguez, Scott Rowland, and Billy Wagner. Um, it hurts that I have to draw people. I've never done it before in my life, and I've been filling out mock ballots for I think six or seven years at this point. Um, but you know, it's, it had to be done. Two people had to go. Um, and that was kind of just the way it went. So I guess it's an eye for an eye with you dropping Wagner and me dropping shilling. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, except the difference is that I can't just add shilling back. Yeah. Right. 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 Um, yeah. Wagner will, he'll be back. I'm yeah. He'll be back. Um, yeah, I, I, one, I'm not it, forgetting it about you, Billy. It, I'm not gonna lie, it hurt. But I bet it it, it did. Like he's a you know he's, he's like, a great he's, pitcher. He was a great pitcher. Like statistically speaking, he deserved to be in. But if he didn't want to be on the ballot, I felt like it was okay for me to take him off and not feel super guilty about it, even if I was gonna bring him back. Yeah, like even even this year, I'm not as lobbying as hard on social media because it's like 
I he's not even defending himself. Yeah, like he doesn't like he doesn't care. Um, like he spe- he didn't want to be here. So why? And like you know what? I need space. Why don't I just take the guy who doesn't want to be here off here? Um. Yeah. Right. Like, it's it's uh, yeah. It's it's hard to it's hard to be as passionate about the Kurt Schilling Hall of Fame case as I as I was you know last year and two years ago. It's like that's when that's when I realized like when he made that announcement or when he made that request last year, I was like, wow. I care more about this than he does. <laughs> like maybe, maybe that's a sign that I should not do that. Yeah. 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 I've edited more videos about his case than he has for sure. Um, <laughs> two more. Um, yeah. I, I believe. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's definitely still on my ballot just based off of like, you know, how, like, I, I just, I, I had to look like at how, awesome of a pitcher he was like i think mm-hmm. i think he's better than i think his like pitching career at least was more dominant than like john smoltz and tom glavin it, it um, was uh this is the first year that i didn't vote for him right like, like i've been there every single year but when exactly like i i completely understand your point it's it's uh it's why i'm not as passionate this year it's like mm-hmm. and when i heard when i heard he was minus six i was like yeah it makes sense yeah like why uh, why would he gain why would writers be like you know when he said that he didn't want to be on the ballot and that he didn't respect our opinions that's when i was like you know what <laughs> that 3460 ri looks a lot better now right yeah yeah it's like oh it would that... have been very funny if he got voted in this year though oh i i was hoping been... the writers would have had a sense of humor about it being like <laughs> like you know what like... guys Oh, you think yeah, I think we're not so valuable. How about how you how are you gonna feel when you're in the Hall of Fame then, huh? Yeah, who are you who are you gonna thank? Doing yeah, your speech, who are you huh? thank? <laughs> um that yeah. would have been that would have been very funny, but I don't think it's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, he like they vote him in just so he has to thank the writers. <laughs> um, but he's going on, he'll be on today's game era along yeah. with Bonds and Clemens. That's going to be such a stacked ballot by the way. Yeah. Like like I think Fred McGriff is going to be on it. Let me check who was on it last time. Um today's game. You know, last time they yeah, last time the today's game era committee voted, they took off some of the star players like Lee Smith and Harold Baines, so it's like that opened up so much room for a lot of players, but then they just restacked it. Yeah, that's great. Um, um it's, it might be more stacked than the actual bbwaa ballot well at least like, at, at least at the top maybe not you know, you know could you, could you imagine having to having bonds and banes on the same ballots like how am i like this is just too much yeah it's, <laughs> it's like i, I want to vote for both um yeah so hall of fame ballots from us revealed um not a whole lot of movement we had to make some some tough decisions i'm not gonna i'm not forgetting about you billy billy 2023 you and me we're we're (laughs) Um, in it together on the on the today's game era committee ballot last time lee smith got every vote he got he got 16 out of 16 harold baines got 12 out of 16 lou Pinella, albert albert bell joe carter will clark oral hersheiser david johnson charlie Manuel, george steinbrenner how does how does george steinbrenner get fewer than five votes that's actually astonishing to me yeah i'm surprised that wasn't talked about 
Like less than five, you're telling me that like the greatest, most well-known owner in the history of the world. Oh wait, okay. One second, as I apply chapstick. Yeah. Um, I want to look up when he was owner. I mean, I I guess yeah, because the the four out of yeah, didn't they win four out of five World Series? That yeah. makes sense. But like, he's most famous for what he did in like the seventies and eighties, which was like, like they won two World Series in the seventies, but it wasn't like. I'm pretty sure he was also there for 09, yeah. He bought the Yankees in 1973 and owned them until he died in 2010. So, yeah, he won seven. He won seven World Series. How does he not? Seven World Series. Right, yeah. That's insane. I just, I feel like he's most famous in my head for, like, firing Billy Martin four or five times. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, I mean, he was the owner of that four out of five world series winning dynasty in the free agency era yeah um yeah he won seven world series in what less than 40 years yeah less than 40 years um yeah that's weird that's pretty weird Um, and most of them coming in the expanded playoff era too where it's like you actually had to go through a lot to get to the world series and win it not just like oh you finished first in your division here you go go to the alcs True, yeah. Yeah, built those teams. Like those um, two of them. And even in one of those, they had to play a tiebreaker game to get to the ALCS. Um, uh, oh, yeah, the 78. Yeah. 78 World Series. <clears throat> or 78. Uh, That's the crazy. Dent game. How does George Steinbrenner get fewer than five votes? And yeah, that's pretty odd. 12. You really want to tell me that Harold Baines contributed more to baseball history than George Steinbrenner? But that uh, 1983 AOS title, who yeah, can forget that? True. He was one of the leaders in that on that team. One of them. Um. Oh yeah, that reminds me, we got to get our uh, our professor on. Yeah, we do. Maybe soon, because like we don't have three working mics at at campus that's true well we also have another professor coming back on to do one of the greatest segments in ar history soon yeah yeah a little teaser there it's gonna be fun that's gonna be a good one <laughs> it's gonna it's definitely gonna it's definitely like very you know you gotta do it's this very arr it's so us it's it's yeah it's it's way to us <laughs> you're absolutely correct like uh yeah i don't even I don't even know how to describe it. It's 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 Buck Showalter comparing Yasmani Grundahl to Ted Simmons. That's how us it is. <laughs> uh, New York Mets manager. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny that I think that was the, that had to be the last game he broadcasted too. Yeah. Yep. Reminds me of the great Ted Simmons. That was yeah, that might have been my favorite moment this. of the postseason. Oh, that was an all-time. Like it wasn't. It wasn't watching the Red Sox go on an improbable run. It wasn't like the Chris Taylor walk-off home run. The Braves beating the odds and three different teams that were favored against them. It was all those comparisons that were just so absurd and ridiculous. I might. I might go on MLB TV to watch the other half of the game. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, you can listen to uh, Hall of Famer Jim Cotton on that call too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that was a that broadcast booth had a big winner. (laughs) One got hired by the Mets as a manager. One got inducted into the Hall of Fame. Like two of the biggest things you can do in baseball. 
hired as a manager, inducted into the Hall of Fame. <laughs> um, so shout out to those guys just winning, winning in 2021. By the way, I mentioned this to you earlier, but I thought it was so funny how like the Mets got so much praise from the media for hiring Buck Showalter. And it's like, he's just been sitting out there for like three years and so many teams could have hired them if they wanted to. It's like yeah, the Mets. About it. Yeah. Did we talk about it on the show? I thought we just talked about it like off. No, no, no. We, we talked about it in the, in the car. Yeah. Um, yeah, we did. How like more than 20 teams have changed managers. I'm since pretty the sure. Orioles yeah. fired him. Yeah. Since it's like, Orioles it's like they him. found this guy. It's like everyone knew him. Everyone in baseball knows who Buck Showalter is and everyone could have hired him. And the Mets are like the 20th team that eventually took the, took the flyer. Yeah, yeah, and especially when you consider like it's the Mets, where it's a team where every hire they've made in the last like five years has ended up to end up being like a terrible person with off the field issues, and it's like you know what? Let's just hire the safest person possible. Like every single person knows who this guy is, so if there was something bad about him, it would have come out already. That's true. Yes, it'd be very yeah. funny if right now it's like back in it's like someone in like nineteen seventy eight, like. <laughs> Actually, Buck Schulter was a terrible person, believe it or not. <laughs> or he just gets a DUI now at, like, however old he is. Right, right. Yeah. Like, what do you even say there? He's not, he's not a Hall of Famer baseball person. It's like, yeah. I'm an AL East winning baseball person. I'm a three-time 20- manager of the year winner. <laughs> yeah. Did he, he actually won manager of the year three times? Yeah, t- dude, it was uh, 1994, 2004, 2014. So he got, and he has a three-year deal with the Mets. So you know what that means in that last year. Right. Yeah, <laughs> as a three-year, as a third-year manager. he's gonna I think it was all with different teams too. Yeah, 94. That would have been the Yankees. Yeah, Yankees. Oh, yeah, he was. 2014 yeah. Orioles, 2004 Rangers. Huh. Did the Rangers make, I don't think. I don't think the Rangers made the playoffs that year. No, but they went 89 and 73. Yeah, and they probably had a bad yeah, they had a bad they definitely had a bad 2003 because they traded A Rod. They were like uh they we were can't. 71 and 91, yeah. Yeah, they were like, we it's not worth having this guy for <laughs> on this contract. Yeah, it's yeah. a four he he never got one with Arizona. Wait, how did he not win 1999 manager of the year? Yeah, they were an expansion team the year before. That is hold on. Was it, was it the Mets manager? Because I know the Mets of the year. The Mets had a good year, ninety-nine. It was Jack McKeon. The Marlins. Marlins. They won the World Series two years before that. Maybe it was because they definitely didn't make the playoffs. Jack McKeon. No Reds. The year, oh, okay. The the nineteen ninety Reds went. 96 and 67 finished second in the NL Central, missed the playoffs. And the year before were 77 and 85. But the 100 win Diamondbacks who proceed who succeeded the 100 lost Diamondbacks did not have the manager of the year. That doesn't make sense. This is this is the this is like Jason Bartlett level. This is Jason Bartlett 2.0. How in the world? And, like, Jack McKeon wasn't, like, a new name by any means. Like, that was the second team he managed. I'm Actually, it, out now. It, was the fourth, it was the fourth team he managed. It was the fourth team he had managed. He had started, man, he managed 
he started managing 25 years prior. This is not a, like a breaking news. This guy is actually pretty good. This is not a breakout season for him as a manager. Uh, uh, let's see. I'm, I'm how many times? I'm trying I don't to think he ever made the playoffs in. except for the 2003 Marlins. It's going out there. Yeah. For sure. Why aren't we talking about Buck Showalter being robbed of the 1999 NL Manager of the Year <laughs> tweet? I'm I've never been more confident in a tweet in my life, I don't think. This is this is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, what a sham. I, I mean, uh, I've always distrusted the Manager of the Year award, uh, but this this is a new low for that award. I know it happened 22 years ago. <laughs> That but doesn't still. make any sense. I mean, like, did the 1999 Reds have a bunch of injuries? <laughs> yeah. Did Mike they... Cameron and Barry Larkin and Sean Casey were their B-War leaders, which makes So Barry sense. Larkin was there. That was the first person I thought of. Yeah. Barry Mike Larkin. Cameron. Uh, Mike Cameron with a 105 OPS plus was their B-War leader. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Dude, what? I'm just I'm not seeing I mean I don't know. That's I'm terrible. I'm not seeing the like glaring. That that's the BBWA messed did, up. Did Jack McKeon like like get over like a disease during the season <laughs> and not miss a game or something? Like I I'm I don't even know if I'm joking there. Like that's the only thing that if he like got over cancer in the middle of the year without missing then that's a game. Valid. Then, like, yeah, he didn't have to show any improvement of the team. Then he gets manager of the year. But if if it's not for that unlikely reason, Buck Showalter got robbed. Jack McKeon's still in baseball? What? Hold on, I'm seeing an article from 2019. Uh, Jack McKeon takes job with Washington Nationals at 88. Well, I remember he got fired by the um, new Marlins ownership group, and I'm not—I'm not going to blame it on Derek Jeter, by the way, because he gets no. all the blame, even though he's like—he's like five percent of the ownership. But like, yeah, he got fired by the Marlins, like right when they came in. They do. They fired uh, Jeff Conine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like what? Um... Yeah. I- I'm trying to find it, man. I got nothing. Yeah. Um Buck Walter took the 65 and 97 Diamondbacks in their first year of existence and then turned them into a 100. I guess I guess they did get Randy Johnson the previous offseason. But he's like he's a but he can only go every fifth player. day. Maybe that's why. Maybe it's like they also they got Luis Gonzalez too. But even then, Luis Gonzalez had a career year his first year with the Diamondbacks. He he never had an OPS plus above uh, 128, and that was in 77 games with the Cubs, so that doesn't even count. He never had an OBS plus above 123, and that was in 1993. And in 1999, he had a 952 OPS, 138 OPS plus. I think the only case to be made is that their two best players were, like, additions from the previous season. Which, I mean, they, were, they only ha- existed for one other year. Like, of course, I don't know. Yeah. That, yeah, that's, that's the true. best response I can come up with. Yeah. It was pre-shilling, too. That's tough. Especially, like, you know, that's that's a team that... That's a team that... um That made the playoffs. You know, made an impact. Made some noise. They won 100 games. 
100 games after in their second 65. year of existence. Like Randy losing... Johnson, Randy Johnson and Luis Gonzalez ain't going to make all that all yeah. that difference. It's like like we talk about the Rangers this year. It's like, yeah, they lost 100 games. They added, you know, they added two position players, but it's like they're not going to they're not going to be that great. This is like the Diamondbacks are like what the Rangers would be like if that actually happened. Yeah, if Chris Woodward goes out and wins maybe 95 games this year. You're really telling me he's not manager of the year? Right. Exactly. I don't know. What would be like the Reds equivalent of that? Of a team that didn't like, do much. and Like if, I don't know, like if the Tigers, probably the Tigers, probably if the Tigers like win the same amount of games and they give it to AJ Hinch, I would still vote Chris Woodward in that case. Yeah. I mean, I guess the Tigers did add a little bit. I'm trying to think of like. That's true. Um. Well, the Reds were a 77-win team, I think, the year the, before. The, this current installment of the Reds, the 2021 Reds ended up with, what, 82 wins? Something like that. So and if they went out and won, like, 101, you know. Well, I mean, still, they're, you know, they're not going in the same league as the Rangers, so. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm thinking so, AL yeah. teams. So maybe Cleveland. Maybe Cleveland, yeah. If they went out the and won 100. But the Reds 99. didn't even win 100. They lost, They won less games. But even then, like, Terry Francona would he, – like, he wasn't there last year, so I guess – I don't know. He would, I don't know, man. This is this is insane. This is breaking my brain. I, I hate to end on such a negative note. This but, this uh, is – I mean, like, we've the, – the funny thing is we've never liked manager of the year anyway. Yeah, and, and <laughs> here's why. Started in 1999, the year before yeah. we were born. Yeah, my God. Um, this is just an embarrassment to the sport. Oh, you know what? The Reds went 8-1 and one against the Diamondbacks that year. Huh. Hmm. 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 <laughs> Wait. That, I think that's it. Did we get a voting breakdown of, like, it must have been I, In 1999, no. I don't think so. Um. I'll I'll go to the '99 awards. Well, actually, I'll go to I'll go to Pedro's reference page, and then it'll guide me to the '99. That's awards. true. Yeah, I'll do the but, same. Yeah. Um, I mean, Buck Showalter had to have finished at least second, right? He had to have. Can you imagine if he just like didn't get a vote? Yeah. Um, that would be messed up. So. NL manager of the year. What the heck? He was fourth he got place. Fourth? He got one first place vote. Are, Are you, you kidding serious? me? Are you serious? Larry Dirker, who managed 61 games, got more first place votes and finished higher than Buck Showalter. Bobby Cox? Bobby who, Cox. Who yeah, managed only... the same team for 10 years? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah, only his, only his 26th division title in a row. This is this is a joke, dude. This is an abomination. Is, you know what? I've never really believed in West Coast bias, but this might be West Coast bias. Yeah, West Coast. Yeah, West Coast. Yeah, bias against for sure. Yeah. Like yeah. baseball fans, like from the West Coast, always talk about how like the East Coast gets more attention. I've never really believed in that, but this this might be the number one case to be made. Yeah, you got to be kidding me right now. He was fourth. Jack uh, McKeon of the Reds, Bobby Cox of the Braves, Larry Dreeker of the Astros. Were they, how good were the 2001 Astros or the 1999 Astros? Okay, he went 46 and 28 with them. 
That's what six a six twenty two winning percentage. I guess that is better than. Uh, the I don't know. It's year, like right? pretty good. It's pretty good, but ah, man, it's just it's right around the same as the ninety nine Diamondbacks. They were six seventeen. It's five percentage points higher. That's yeah, ridiculous. and he played a hundred more like a hundred more games as a as a second year expansion team too. Second year expansion team, first year That's manager. Insane. Um, you know. I, like second year, second year manager, he did manage in ninety eight as well. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's Still, true. That uh, shouldn't matter. Like, yeah, Randy Johnson. Uh, uh, Jack yeah. McKeon was not a first year manager, and Bobby Cox definitely wasn't either. Yeah, like I guess Randy Johnson and Luis Gonzalez. Like, you add what, like 15, 15 wins from that, like fifteen, like they probably combined for like fifteen wins above, above replacement or something like that. So that would have been 80. And then you got they won 20 more. They won 100. This is – the biggest offense might be Bobby Cox. Even if he won three more games, it's like the dude was managing the same great team for 10 years. And this was even a down year. Or no, it wasn't. It was 99. I mean, they did – okay, never mind. I was For some reason, I was thinking 01 because that was the other good Diamondbacks year. Um, yeah. He, they, he, they won three more games the year before. The Braves did? Yeah. They won yeah. 106 games in 98, 103 in 99. Yeah, I'm sure it was really tough for, for Bobby Cox with John Smoltz, <laughs> Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, Andrew for like Jones, the eighth and straight Jones. year. Yeah. <laughs> with five Hall of Famers. Well, five should be Hall of Famers. Yeah. <laughs> on his team. Compared yeah, to I'm Buck sure Showalter with a team in its second year of existence. Yeah, they had... They had Randy Johnson, like the only Hall of Fame caliber guy they had was Randy Johnson. Um, the okay. Bobby Cox already had more 100 win seasons than the Diamondbacks had seasons at that point. Yeah, that's very true. That's insane. It's very true. Like, yeah, good manager, but it's like, you know, we know what, how the manager of the year is determined. It's, it's like who, who had the biggest difference in wins from year to year. When did that like change? Like I'm, the fact that he didn't win is enough. The fact that he got four, he wasn't even a finalist. Yeah. I mean, this is like, well, I guess, yeah, Davey Martinez wasn't a finalist. But that was still like, okay, you won 93 games. And you like, and yeah, you came back from that. They won like 81. 80 the year before. Or like, something don't like that. get me wrong. He should have won manager of the year that year, but that's this is an offense on another level. 100 win season, second year of the franchise's existence, 65 and 97 the year before, and you're not even a finalist. So Bobby Cox won manager of the year four times. Um, I'm trying to find the years. Um, I don't know. Oh, yeah, 85 with not even, yeah, 85 AL. 91 NL, very understandable. And then 04 NL, 05 NL. It's like, oh, you lost Greg Maddox and you're still yeah. good. It's pretty wild. Um, okay. I hate, yeah, like I said, I hate to end on such a negative note. That is just, that is so bad. Truly. Truly it is. That um, might be the worst thing the BBWA has ever done. Yeah, absolutely they've ever done in their what is it now 100 and whatever it is year existence i think it was 1910 that they... oh they started in 1910 because i know 
Hall of Fame started in 36, but yeah, they had to come around. Cause yeah. Uh, started... oh, 1908, I was two years off. 1908. Yeah. Yeah. So they saw what Hannes Wagner was doing. They were like, we got to write about this. Yeah. Hannes Wagner and Christy Matheson. Yeah. Um, yeah. In their 113 year history, maybe the worst thing they've done. Um, all right. Well, um, so we hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're listening on an Apple podcast, just about anything more to say. <laughs> if you're. <laughs> This is this is what the shows are going to be like until the lockout ends. Yeah, I don't know how much we went on this 1999. Your tweet was year. 12 minutes ago. Yeah, I sent the tweet I'm, 12 I'm, minutes I, ago. We've I probably been talking about it for I'm at least. This. We probably talked about it like yeah, at least 15 minutes total. Um, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and want to watch the conversation as it happens, we are currently on Zoom. And releasing video episodes so we are for the next uh, couple weeks we, so go to the youtube channel subscribe to the youtube channel and if you want to see um all the hall of fame breakdowns are on youtube isolated so you don't have to go inside the episode and figure out when we were doing hall of fame breakdowns um if you want to uh go into bubble case breakdowns of 10 different players on this current ballot as it stands uh go to the youtube channel find that playlist also subscribe and uh also uh if you want to follow us on social media follow me on twitter actress underscore gianta and follow daniel on both twitter and instagram at daniel underscore current and follow the show instagram at above replacement radio for all the show needs we hope you enjoyed this one and we hope to see you kind of whenever maybe sometime sometime next week uh where we're talking we're talking uh we're talking something, something about we're talking, baseball. We're talking. So we will see you then. This conversation. This conversation is over. Is over.